You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hi, this is Donna Haleson. Welcome to Pet Life Radio's On the Road with Mac and Molly. Thanks so much for tuning in. In this episode, we'll be visiting Newport, Oregon to chat with Ken Litwin, curator of marine mammals at the Oregon Coast Aquarium. Our focus will be on three of the facility's resident sea lions, Leah, Max, and Quill, who spend some of their enrichment activity time engaged in art making. From Ken, we'll learn how the three were trained to paint and we'll hear what instruments they use to bring color to canvas. We'll ask Ken what we can know about animals and creativity, aesthetic sensibilities, and learning styles. And we'll discuss what meaning, if any, we can know animals attach to their art. Do the sea lions have fun when they paint? Could one sea lion teach another sea lion to paint? We'll find out when we return from these messages. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Petco, where the pets go. Petco, where the pets go. Pet Life Radio has tail wagging, fur flying, fabulous deals for our listeners from Petco. Get $6 off your order of $60 or more and up to 40% off the entire Petco site. That's right. But that's not all. Because you're a Pet Life Radio listener, you'll also get free shipping on your order of $49 or more. $6 off, up to 40% off, and free shipping from Pet Life Radio and Petco. To get these awesome deals, go to PetcoDeals.com. That's PetcoDeals.com. Petco, where the pets go. I'm not much of a reader, but I do wish I were more well-read. There are so many great books coming out. I wish I could find a way to keep up. Audible.com makes it easy to stay well-informed and catch up on your reading simply by listening. Audiobooks from Audible turn downtime into uptime. You'll be more productive and become well-read. Now I'm able to catch up on all the great books I've been wanting to read. With Audible, I feel smarter. Pet Life Radio listeners, try Audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership plan free. And get a free audiobook. Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to audibledeals.com. That's audibledeals.com. Thinking about buying a monkey? How about a ferret or a skunk? Then check out the show that will answer the burning questions, where do you get them? What do you feed them? How do you take care of them? And most of all, what were you thinking? With exotic pet expert and author Bob Tart. Every week on demand from PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Pet Life Radio's On the Road with Mac and Molly. This is your host, Donna Haleson, and joining us from the Oregon Coast Aquarium in Newport, Oregon, is the facility's curator of marine mammals, 
Ken Litwin. Welcome, Ken, and thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Why don't we begin at the beginning? What is a mammologist, and how are you drawn to this work? And what does that work entail? Well, uh, a mammologist is uh, a title. There's different titles and different facilities that basically mean the same thing, whether you're uh, a keeper or a trainer or a mammologist. You basically have the same job. Our job is to make sure that uh, the animals in our care, they're fed, they're healthy, they're mentally, I don't know, happy, if you want to use that word, content. You know, they have everything they need to be a, a mentally and physically healthy individual while we're taking care of them. Well, what intrigues you most about this work? Well, it, it was just like a lot of kids, you know, watching TV and uh, watching the animals on TV, you know, you're drawn to animals. People in general are drawn to animals. They're different from us, but we like to see a lot of the same characteristics that we have, which is why we anthropomorphize a lot. You know, we'll say if the animal has big eyes, it's sad. If it, you know, a dog sneers, it's smiling. You know, we, we like to give our own emotions to animals. And if you watch their body language, you can, you can see this. And, and I got my start, uh, just like a lot of people. I, when I was a kid, I was watching the old flipper reruns on TV and watched them working with the dolphins. And I thought how cool that would be. And someday I was going to do that. And then as I got a little older, I decided, you know, I wanted to, uh, to be a veterinarian. And then, of course, switched again, because as you're growing up, you, you know, you're constantly switching what you want to be when you get older. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did, a, I did a stint in the military. And when I got out, it, it came time to really uh, decide what I wanted to do with my life. I thought, you know, I've drawn back to animals again. And how can I get into this business? You know, that was a couple of years ago, about 20. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, back then, it wasn't easy. Uh, it's not like it is now with uh, the big environmental movement, things like that. You know, you basically applied at a zoo or an aquarium, and if you were lucky, you got in and got to work for minimum wage. And I had read uh, a book, a table book, that had all kinds of beautiful, beautiful pictures in it of marine life by an Australian gentleman, and the book was called uh, Coral Reefs. And he was a photographer, and I thought it would be cool to get into this, this aspect of it. So I wrote him, and, uh, you know, lo and behold, he actually wrote me back and uh, told me I need to start volunteering. You know, that's the way to get your foot in the door. You volunteer. And I did. And I, uh, at the time, lived in Canada and right on the border between the U.S. and Canada. And every day I drove over the border to the Niagara Falls Aquarium and I volunteered for five or six hours a day. Um, And after doing that for about six months, uh, an opening came up at another aquarium. And these people backed me uh, because I was always over there annoying them every day. And uh, that's how I got my start. Uh, I got uh, started announcing uh, seal and sea lion and whale shows, and then they had an opening for a trainer, and I got in as an ent- entry-level trainer, and I've just been doing it ever since, working my way up the ladder. How did you come to serve at the Oregon Coast Aquarium? Well, back in, oh gosh, it was the end, end of 95 when they were hiring for Keiko, the killer whale, uh, moving him from Mexico up here to Oregon, and uh, they were hiring three positions to take care of him up here. And I was one of the three, uh, three trainers that got hired to come out here and, and take care of Keiko when he was here. Could you share some basic details about the facility? Where are you and uh, 
Um, well, we're Are we're in Newport, Oregon. Yeah. We're right on the coast. Uh, we're probably like a you know quarter mile from the ocean. We're right on Yaquina Bay, and uh, we're not a huge facility. We have uh, a lot of fish, invertebrates, uh, seabirds, uh, seals, California sea lions. We have sea otters. We have passages of the deep, which is a walkthrough exhibit. There's a tunnel, and you go through different habitats from you know, um, halibut flats, and you go through the open sea where the sharks are swimming around you, and it's really, really cool. You know, so we're not, we're not your big, elaborate SeaWorld type of facility. We're smaller. We're family-oriented. You know, it's, it's really nice here. You can get a lot of one-on-one, not only with our volunteers who are out there interpreting, but with the staff who are walking around. You know, the staff are always, always willing to stop and talk to you and answer your questions. You know, I go out to make sure I go out a few times a day and just walk amongst the people. And uh, if I hear someone talking, you know, I'll try to, you know, hi, my name's Ken and I'm curator of mammals. And I heard you talking about the sea lions type of thing and make sure I get right in there and I can answer their questions. So we try to make it as personal as possible. That way people come away learning more. Well, now you mentioned Leah, we didn't mention Leah and Max specifically, but you mentioned the sea lions. Are they the only two that you have in the facility? No, right now we currently have three California sea lions. Uh, We have Max, which is our male, and we have Leah and Quill, which are our two females. Now, have all of them become engaged in art making? As of right now, yes. Leah was our first. She was the first one we we thought to uh, use to start doing some paintings. One of our trainers at the time went to another facility and and saw some artwork from uh, other species of animals, and she thought, well, if they can do it, our sea lions can do it too. (laughs) Right. Now, how did you acquire these uh, the sea lions? And can you tell us something about their age, their weight, their size, their their disposition? Well, okay, I'll I'll start with Max. He's our big boy. He weighs about uh, a little over five hundred pounds right now. You know, California sea lions in the wild, you know, can get upwards of of nine hundred pounds easily. He came from the Brookfield Zoo. In fact, all of our sea lions that we have now all came from the Brookfield Zoo uh, when the aquarium first opened in nineteen ninety two. Uh, they were the original animals that we got. They were all captive bred, so none of them were, were stranded animals or taken out of the wild. And they needed homes, and we needed animals, so uh, uh, they were sent here. Max is, uh, yeah, let's see if I can get this one right, uh, he's 21 years old right now. He'll be 22 this summer. Mm-hmm. So he's getting up there in age. They live between about 20, 25 years old on average. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's getting up there, but he's... Uh, you know, very healthy boy, uh, mentally and physically. And he's, he's a big puppy dog. You know, if, he, <laughs> if, if you can compare a 500-pound animal to a puppy dog, uh, mm-hmm. he's very good-natured, you know, even-tempered. He enjoys, you know, the one-on-one attention that you can give him. You know, there are times he's just a, he's a big goofball, but he's, he's a wonderful, wonderful animal to work with. Quill, Quill, Max, and Lee are all basically the same age. Quill is one of our, our female Californias, and, uh, of course, she came from the Brookfield Zoo as well. And uh, Quill has a, a different personality. Quill is uh, also, you know, uh, very even-tempered, uh, very good disposition, but she's more serious. Uh, she likes a person that, you know, when they come out to work with her, to train her, uh, you kind of have it all together. You know, you know where you're going to go from point A to point B, and you got to have your stuff together. She gets a little frustrated when the trainer doesn't know what they're doing. <laughs> and sometimes she'll give you a hint as to what she thinks you should be doing. 
So it's really, really uh, kind of funny working with her. You know, as long as you got it together, she's a very hard worker. Uh, she gets very excited um, when she does something correctly. So, you know, just, just like Max, she's great. Then we have Leah. <laughs> Leah is Leah's one of my I've done my most of my work I've done with Leah over my years here at the aquarium. Um, and Leah's a big goofball. If there was a class clown, it's definitely Leah. You know, uh, Leah has the same background as both Max and Quill. Leah is goofy, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, I wouldn't call her a troublemaker. She's, she's very mischievous. She likes to try and find ways for you to pay attention to her, whether it's in a good way or, you know, she'll try and do something wrong, not really bad, but just enough so she'll catch your attention, so you'll reprimand her. You know, she'll try and sneak out a gate if it's left open. She'll try and look in your bucket to see if there's more food there. If she doesn't like the behavior you're giving her, she'll do a different one instead. You know, she's the type that's very personable. She gets enjoyment just out of being around people, and I've met very few animals that are actually like that. Uh, most animals are food motivated. You know, they'll, they'll do what you want. They'll come up and see if you don't have food. But Leah will actually, if I go out there and sit down, will come up and sit beside me and just lay her head on my legs if I'm sitting down on the ground. Uh, none of the other animals will do that with me. Part of it is the working relationship I have with Leah. The other part is her personality. That's just Leah. You know, I've, I've met on one hand in 20 years of doing this a number of sea lions that have that type of personality. Are Leah and Max the only creatures at the aquarium who are engaged in art making? If they are, why is that so? What made them candidates, good candidates for this activity? Well, when we, when we decided to start this, we you know, took a good look at uh, you know, who we had. And Leah was by far the first candidate that came out just because of her personality, how easy she is to work with. And because at first we would have to keep changing things and modifying it to make it work. So we needed an animal that mentally was flexible enough to allow us to do this as well. And Leah just, you know, right away was the one that jumped out at us. When we first started, we weren't even thinking of putting the paintbrush in their mouth. What we were going to do was flipper prints. So basically, we have them come out, they lay down, they lift their flipper up, we put paint on their flipper, and then they put their flipper on the canvas, and then we take it off, and you have a flipper print. And, and they look really cool. Well, Leah got really good at this, so we thought we'd modify it and start using the brush. There's a lot of little steps for the entire production because you want her to do it when you ask her to do it. You want her to paint the canvas, not you. If she can't, when she's done painting, just drop the brush. She has to hand it back to you so you can get more paint. So there's a lot of baby steps that go into this. And again, you know, with Leah and her personality, we thought she would be the most flexible if we had to change things. So it took, oh, it took probably about four, four or five months to train that behavior before it was completely done. And once we got it done with her, of course, we you know, wanted to try somebody else. So then Max came to mind because of Max's personality. And so we just refined it a little more with Max, and he did really good, you know, being a, a male, a bigger animal. You know, he wasn't as kind of laid back as Leah. He was more forward. He, he wanted to punch the canvas with the brush at first rather than stroke the canvas with the brush. So we ran into some problems there. Um, 
And then he would get excited and decide to paint your hand and your arm and, and things like that. So, you know, it was, it was a, a learning progress uh, on both ends. And then uh, most recently, uh, probably about a month ago, we just finished training Quill how to paint. And now that we had all the steps down and we had everything refined between Leah and Max, Quill just, you know, you've got your stuff in order, you've got it laid out from A to Z how you want it, and, you know, Quill's right there with it. She's just on the ball, she knows the next step, you know, so she was wonderful. So now, actually, uh, we've moved on and we're starting to train some of the seals how to paint. We're not going to be training all the seals how to paint, we have six of them, but uh, Swap, one of our female uh, Pacific Harbor seals, just learned how to paint as well. So, you know, when uh, the trainer got that done, she was just, you know, ecstatic that Swap is painting. And, you know, her paintings look good, and she enjoys it. You know, you can see that Swap gets something from it. You know, I I wouldn't say a sense of accomplishment. She doesn't really know what she's doing. But they feed off of us as well. So if, if we're happy and we're, you know, showing that there's something there by our body language and by the tone of our voice and, and by our excitement, then the animals get something out of that too. Now, how is the canvas secured? Do you hold the canvas for them or is it on an easel or on the ground? Well, we actually do it both ways. Uh, we'll do some behind the scenes and during our sessions out front, if we're not doing anything else, uh, we'll do it out front as well, right in front of the public. Uh, so the public can see what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, and we'll let them know, you know, these paintings are, are for sale in our gift shop if, if you wish to purchase them. And we have uh, everybody's paintings up in the gift shop. We hang on to the canvases. We tried different things at first. We tried an easel, and we found that they knocked it down. We tried securing it to a concrete wall, and we found that uh, they painted the wall more than they painted the canvas. So we found that the easiest way for us to do this was just for us to hold the canvas we hand them the brush, we ask them to paint, and then they paint the canvas while we're holding it. That way we have more control over the situation. How has your relationship with each sea lion been enhanced or changed through this interaction? Well, I personally didn't train any of them to do the paintings. Uh, some of our, our previous and our current staff did the training. And it, you know, it gives any type of training, be it painting or teaching them how to do a backflip or, or things like that always enhances your relationship with the animal because you're asking basically two species to figure out a way to communicate something across to each other. So, you know, it takes time, it takes patience and a willingness to work together and especially the willingness to work together because if, if the trainer isn't willing to be flexible with the animal or if the animal isn't willing to be flexible with the trainer, then you're going to accomplish nothing. So whenever you do training be it, you know, the, the painting or, or something else, it always, always helps with your relationship with that animal. And the longer it is, like something like the painting that takes a few months rather than a few days or a few weeks, it's going to work out even better because you have to communicate with that animal longer to get across what you're trying to do. Well, let's take a break. When we return, we'll be delving into the question of creativity and what we can know about sea lions from their art making. Do sea lions attach any meaning to their artwork? Do they appreciate beauty? Do they have fun when they engage in these activities? So please, sit, stay. We'll be right back after these messages. 
sit, stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Every pet is unique. Maybe they're gray in the muzzle, yet young at heart. Maybe they're growing out of the puppy stage and into their paws and ears. Or maybe they're just trying to maintain a more girlish figure. At PetSmart, we have the right food for your pet at a great value for you. PetSmart. Be better together. Go to PetLifeRadio.com slash PetSmart and save up to 30% on toys, collars, leashes, PetSmart gift cards, treats, and more. Go to PetLifeRadio.com slash PetSmart today. Dyson. The new Dyson Animal Backs are powerful bagless upright vacuums for homes with pets. Air muscle and radio root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Back, go to PetLifeRadio.com forward slash Dyson. PetLifeRadio.com forward slash Dyson. To order your Dyson Animal Back today. Dyson. Music to your ears. Aquariums and pondkeeping are among the most popular of all hobbies in the United States and throughout the world. In fact, fish are probably the most numerous pet in people's homes and in their businesses. In Aquarium Mania, we'll learn more about the secret and not-so-secret life of fish and other inhabitants, the basics of good aquarium keeping, the complexities of the aquarium industry, and the science and art that surround this fascinating hobby. I'm your host, Roy Anong, and I'd like to thank you for joining us. Aquarium Mania. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On PetLife Radio. PetLife Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> So, Ken, what can we posit about sea lions from their art making? What does the sea lion understand about the artwork being created, if anything? Personally, I don't think they understand anything about it. You know, it, to them, we're, we're asking them, because we pick the colors, you know, we hold the canvas, we put the brush in their mouth, and we ask them to paint. So sometimes, they know, and even when they're painting we kind of have it where they paint a certain way so it's going to maximize uh, the painting as a whole. So basically they're just they're doing a behavior like any other behavior. If we ask them for a backflip, they do a backflip. They don't really put any meaning into it. That's just what we trained them to do. So I, I believe it's the same with the paintings. You know, it's, it's a behavior that we trained them to do a certain way. They do it. They get reinforced for it, either by food or by praise. We get excited about it because of what we see them doing. So that reinforces the behavior even more, which makes them want to do it more. More reinforcement, uh, positive reinforcement you get for something, you know, the more apt you're likely to do it again. Now, I would imagine most people believe aesthetic appreciation is solely a province of human beings. Is it? Do creatures other than human beings appreciate beauty? You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> 
I don't think anyone, until we can get another animal to actually speak to us and let us know what it's actually thinking, it's really hard. It could be a mouse to an elephant to a whale to you know, whatever species of animal. It's always a person's interpretation. And as humans, we always attach our wants, our needs, our feelings to what we interpret. That's just the way we are. That's the way we'll always be. You know, it's not a bad thing. I would always love to believe that, you know, my dog is happy to see me. You know, I would always love to believe that the, the behaviors that I, I train the animals here, that they enjoy working with me in training. I know sometimes they don't because they do have body language and outward ways to let me know that they're not in the mood. You know, they'll just bail on me and swim away. Okay, you don't feel like doing this right now. I'll come back later. But it, it's really hard, you know, to say that an animal appreciates beauty. If you take a bowerbird, the males make these elaborate nests for the females. And they put a lot of time and effort into making these crazy elaborate nests. You know, does the female appreciate the beauty? Or is it just because he's got more junk piled up than the next guy? It's hard to, to say because we can't ask them. You know, maybe someday someone will figure that one out. But, you know, it's, it's really, really hard to say. I, you can tell, you can honestly tell by posture uh, and things like that. You know, if an animal is really tense, you know they're not relaxed. You know they're not content. If they're relaxed and, you know, their, their muscles are relaxed and they come to you and, you know, they present certain parts for you to scratch or something like that, well, then you know there's something there. And there's limited outward signs that you can watch and you can see. And I see it every single day with the animals. I know which ones actually want my attention. I know which ones don't. I know when there's something going on in the collection by posturing and who's hanging out with who and, and things like that. I don't know what, but I know there's something there. It's tough, you know, and, and I'd like to believe like everybody else that there's more to it. And, and working with animals for, for over 20 years, I know there's more to it. I just don't know what. You know, it's hard. You know, Leah may paint a painting, and to me it may look really cool. To her, who knows? You know, we don't even know if she sees those exact colors. So we don't know, you know. How do sea lions see? How does how they see differ from the way human beings see? Do they see colors, shapes, and patterns in the same way that humans do? There's so many questions you really would love to ask them, though. Uh, (laughs) Well, they have the rods and the cones in their eyes to see color. Mm -hmm. So we know that. In their world, swimming underwater and going as deep as they go, they don't need to see color sometimes. You know, when they're on the surface, yes, you know, they can see color there. But, you know, marine mammals, you know, in their world underwater, unless it's down in the tropics, Hey, you know, you go off the Oregon coast here and you start going deep and it's, it's a dark world. It's not really colorful. The, the light doesn't penetrate down that far. So seeing color doesn't really have an advantage. Although, you know, like I said, they do have the, the eye makeup to see color. And they would need to see shapes and patterns. And I wonder if that kind of seeing is in any way akin to the way that humans see? I don't know. <laughs> Again, like, you know, yeah. like I said... You know, there's a lot of research left. To, and we know that, you know, we do shape discrimination, things like that, as mental exercises for them. You know, we'll, we'll ask Leah to find a triangle 
or we'll ask Quill to find a circle amongst a whole bunch of other shapes, and they always find it, you know, so we know that they can do things like right. this uh, because we do it all the time. As to how acute they can see, it's hard to say. We can take an eyeball and, and we can disassemble the eyeball and we can make assumptions. They have rods and cones to see color. Their eye is shaped like this, so they should be seeing in detail, things like that. But until we can actually look through their eye and see what they see, you know, it's hard to say. Um, mm-hmm. It's funny, um, I remember the first time I saw somebody did a mock-up of a honeybee eye where they were actually seeing what the honeybee saw for the first time. And it was amazing. I don't know how the bee ever gets anywhere. <laughs> but it's, it's actually so amazing to kind of look through and see the way they see. Could Leah, Max, and Quill be said to truly create How is creativity defined and determined in mammalogical terms? I've heard words like effective innovation, effective novelty. Can you explain those terms to us? Could you share some examples of creativity from captivity and from the wild? Well, it's hard, you know, if you take what we as people define as, as creativity. You know, it could be something as simple as, you know, someone making a beautiful painting that no one's done before. You know, a person creates something new, be it a, you know, a product, a solution, art, stuff like that, that has some kind of value. Um, and it doesn't have to be monetary value either. You know, so it's tough. You know, people debate exactly what creativity is. If you're creative and you create something new, you know, now you have to define new. You know, what, what exactly is new? Is it new to the person? Is it new to society? You know, what is it? So it's tough in that aspect. For the sea lions in their painting, when they paint, it's not like they, they stand back and they look at the canvas and there's a thought process that takes place and then they come up and a stroke goes a certain way. It comes down to basically we give them the brush, we say paint, they just, you know, start moving their head around and doing brush strokes on the canvas. So there isn't the, the thought process of creativity. You know, they're not standing back and they're not thinking about, you know, where should I put the blue color or where should I put uh, this color or that color? They just do it. And, you know, we pick the colors too. How do sea lions learn? And can you relate that learning process to the ways in which human beings learn? Are they visual learners, auditory learners, tactile learners? Actually, it's a combination And sea lions, um, any animal, just like people, you have your sea lions that pick up on things very quickly. And, you know, there's, there's almost an understanding as to what the next step is. You also have your sea lions that, you know, just like people, take more time. You know, you have your quick learners, you have your slow learners, the majority is in the middle, you know. So when it comes to that, there isn't a a kind of a, a basic type. When we train animals, we use everything. We use uh, verbal commands, we'll touch. We have what we call a target pole, which is basically a a buoy on a stick, and they're trained to put their nose on it. If I want the animal to, let's say, lie down, one of the things I'll do is I'll use that buoy target to approximate their head down until they're lying on the ground. You know, everything is in very small steps. You don't want to take big steps 
because depending on the animal, they could kind of lose where you're going with it. So anything from, you know, something as simple as having an animal just sit there and put its nose on your fist, which is another form of targeting, to doing an all-out backflip in the water or a speed swim around the entire pool. It takes little steps, and, and it takes, you know, visual cues, auditory cues. You know, if I want an animal uh, who's, who's sitting in front of me to raise their flipper a little bit higher than what they're doing it, I'll take my hand and I'll just tap the back of their flipper twice. And they know that they're supposed to move their flipper to touch my hand, and they'll just lift their flipper up a little further. So, you know, it's, it's a huge combination of things where, as a trainer, a mammologist, I have to have it all together. I have to know what the next step was or what the next few steps are, what the previous steps were, where I am now, where I'd like to be in this next session or by the end of the day or by the end of the week. And then I have to figure out how to communicate that to the animal in small steps where they're going to understand me. And it's going to be positive for them too. I don't want to go into it and have them get frustrated because if they're frustrated, then you know they're not going to be enjoying what we're doing, which is part of it as well. It's supposed to be mental stimulation. So you want to keep it positive mentally for them. And, you know, you, you really have to work one-on-one with the animal, you know, and you have to work well together. And my theory has always been, you know, I can train anything an animal is physically capable of doing. Just give me the right, the right amount of time, the right amount of patience, and the right animal to do it with. And over the years, I've been able to train some, you know, amazing things with animals. You learn patience. You learn different ways to communicate your point across. You learn to be flexible with the animal and with yourself. And you find that if one way doesn't work, then you back up and you you take a different pathway to try and communicate what you want across. In the end, accomplishing the behavior, yet making it positive for not only the animal, but for yourself too. So you want to do it again, and you're better at it next time, and the animal's better at it next time, and you build a relationship with the animal as you do these things. So the next time around, the animal knows your personality and your body movements better, and you'll work better together next time. And when that's done, you work even better together the time after that. It's not only like a, you know, a trainer-animal relationship. They're like your coworkers in the end. Do you think a, a sea lion could teach another sea lion to paint? I don't know. <laughs> um, you'll find in the wild there's mimicry where you'll see an animal doing something and another animal uh, will learn. And you, you see that a lot uh, with all kinds of species of animals like uh, sea otter. If you take sea otters and the fact that uh, you know, sea otters will use a certain rock and they'll use that to break open mussels and, and shells and things like that. Well, that's not something they're born knowing how to do. That's something that they're taught. Just like a young sea lion who's out in the wild for the first time doesn't know how to catch fish or where to look for fish or what types of fish or anything like that to eat. It actually learns from mimicking what the other animals are doing. So, you know, it goes on in the wild all the time even to the point where, you know, the, if you look at the, the sea lions who hang out at the fish ladders, you know, somewhere along the line, there's only one sea lion who did it. And, you know, he came back with a friend or two, and, and they watched him and went, well, this is an easy way to get dinner, isn't it? So they started doing it. 
So, you know, for good or for bad, they learn by watching and mimicking what they see other animals doing. Now, when it comes to things like, oh, I don't know, backflips or, or painting or things that we teach them, I've never seen uh, a sea lion uh, mimic what another sea lion is doing when it comes to that type of behaviors. Uh, you know, I've, I've sent a sea lion on a, a speed swim before, and I've seen another sea lion follow them. You know, and I don't think they were following them to learn the speed swim. They were following them just probably wondering where the heck they were going in such a hurry. So, you know, we don't know why. I don't think that, uh, you know, one animal can learn how to paint by watching another animal. But for basic things in life, you know, catching fish, where to fish, where to go um, during the times that it's time to mate, things like that, they learn by watching and mimicking what the other animals are doing. And then they remember that. Do the sea lions have fun, as we might define it, when they paint? And how are they rewarded? I think you mentioned with fish. Do you reward them with praise as well? Oh, yeah. We, um, as for having fun, you know, Quill, Quill does it because it's a behavior we're asking her to do. Max, the same thing. I, I think Leah gets some enjoyment out of it. Because, like I said, Leah's the most personable sea lion we have. Leah also will try and, and paint your hand or something while she's painting because she knows she's going to get a reaction out of you. Whether you jump back or say, oh, Leah, what are you doing? Or, or something like that. She gets the reaction she wants. So she's basically self-reinforcing herself by doing things like that. So it's, you know, do I think that, you know, sea lions get some sort of enjoyment out of it? Yes, to a certain degree I do. And they're getting, they're getting the enjoyment not out of making the painting, uh, so to speak, but they're getting the enjoyment out of the reaction that we're having to them making the painting. You know, I, I think if every time they made a painting, we were, you know, angry about it or, or something like that, and we gave a different emotion other than being happy and giving them verbal praise and food and things like that, well, then they're not going to want to do the behavior anymore because it's, it's no longer positive for them to do that. It's now a negative thing. So, you know, it, yes, they, they definitely get something out of it. As for the type of reinforcement we give, the primary reinforcement is fish. You know, food is always a, a primary reinforcer when it comes to animals, and it's the quickest way to get things done. But we also give verbal praise you know, telling Leah that she's a really good girl and changing your tone of voice, you know, because the, the higher your tone of voice, of course, the more of a, a positive reaction that is. We'll also, you know, bring her up on deck and we'll give her a big rub down, things like that, and she enjoys that as well. Different animals enjoy different types of reinforcement, and once you find out what type of reinforcement the animals like, you always keep a mental note of it, and you make sure for that individual animal, you use whatever is the most positive for that individual. It's going to be a little bit different than the next animal. So, you know, it's never the same. You know, some animals like it when you turn on the hose after they've had a good session so they can play in the water. Others have a favorite toy, ice treats, uh, which is basically, um, you know, just frozen chunks of ice with um, maybe some food coloring or a couple pieces of fish or something in it. You know, some animals really like that on top of the, you know, the verbal and, and the food praise that we give them. So, you know, it's, it's just a matter of finding out what they like and then utilizing it to the best advantage to have them repeat the behavior again. Art making is included under the kind of broader category of enrichment activities. 
And I wonder, maybe are there things in the works, things that are being discussed in terms of new, new avenues for enrichment activities? Well, we're always, always trying to think of something new um, because if you use the same thing you know, every day over and over and over, it's no longer fun. That'd be like, you know, if, if you're given, you know, one toy or two toys and that's all you ever have to play with, after a while it gets to be kind of boring and you just don't want to do it anymore. You want something new. So what we're always trying to do is think of new ways, fun ways to, you know, mentally and physically enrich their environment. And then we have a list. And what we'll do is we actually kind of go through the list randomly. So they never get the same thing twice in a day. You know, they may not get the same thing twice in a week. When we do something with them for enrichment, we always make notes who liked it, who really didn't care about it. So we know who we're really enriching and who we may need to do a little bit something different for to make sure we get the same type of reaction out of them as well. Because not every animal is going to like the same thing as every other animal likes. So we're always trying to think up new and, and different ideas. And, you know, aquariums and zoos communicate with each other all the time. If somebody comes up with something really cool that's new, they'll post it on one of the forums or something. And then next thing you know, you, everybody else is trying it too and, and putting in their opinions or refining it a little more or adding something or taking something away from it. So it's really cool to be able to do that and try something new and, and see what their reactions are. Well, I'm wondering, uh, we really are needing to close out our time together. I wonder if there's anything else that you think would be most important to uh, share with our audience. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Respect your environment. You know, I've done some work with animals in the wild, and I've, I've spent, you know, almost half my life doing work with animals in zoos and aquariums. And, you know, they're amazing, but that's all we got. What we have is what we have, and, you know, there's nothing else to replace them if we lose them. And, uh, you know, you look at things like uh, polar bears right now, especially with uh, the way the global warming is going and, and their numbers are declining. And, you know, it's just, it's tough. You know, I, I know we all have to share everything, but we have to learn how to. Because if we lose enough, then we're going to be in trouble ourselves. You know, as, as arrogant as people like to believe that we don't need things. You know, we're all here together for a reason because uh, we all mesh together. And we all need each other, you know, from the smallest bug all the way up to us. Everybody does something for everybody else, whether we're aware of it or not. So, yeah, respect your environment and take a good look around you once in a while. Thank you, Ken, for taking the time to open these windows onto your work at the Oregon Coast Aquarium. Photographs of Ken and Max and Leah are found on my Mac and Molly blog on Pet Life Radio's website. If you have any questions or if you'd like to leave a comment, please do visit that blog. I'd love to hear from you. And as always, I hope you'll join me next time as we head out on the road with Mac and Molly. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.